Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Listen long enough and you might just get caught up in the loop. It's episode 310 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and a brand new series is coming to Amazon Prime Video. Actually, is here now on Amazon Prime Video called Tales from the Loop. It is a very, very interesting series about a place where even the most impossible is possible because of the loop talking to series creator this week nathaniel halpern about this very unique series and i gotta tell you i got a chance to see a little bit of it early and it is captivating not just visually but story-wise you are not going to want to turn away from this one so we'll talk to him about that also speaking of things that are out now dc universe's harley quinn season two is finally here and i'm going to do a spoiler-ish review of the first episode also going to be telling you about our sponsor this week my bookie and how you can get 150 percent bonus on your first deposit but first believe it or not there are some new comics to talk about this week. I'll explain that next and what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Normally this is when I would come up with something clever to say or, you know, something that I usually say all the time about what we're reading. But here's the deal. I'm going to explain how I'm actually able to review comics this week. There are some digital firsts. That were going to be digital anyway and be released on digital anyway. And there's another book that I'm going to review after that that has already made its way to comic book shops and, of, of course, available on digital. But let me start with Batman The Adventures Continue, number one from DC, of course, based on Batman the Animated Series. And that's why Alan Burnett and Paul Dini are involved in the writing. Ty Templeton on the art, Monica Kubina on the colors, and Joshua Reed on the letters, I love the cover too by Dave Johnson, if you haven't seen it yet. Now, this digital edition is basically part one of what will be the eventual print edition. So there will be the first two digital editions will make up the print edition. And it basically starts out exactly how you'd expect it to, to start out. Batman's battling one of his more familiar rogues. But then things quickly take a turn. And this is in the description for the book that was on our website weeks ago. So it's not a spoiler. A giant robot basically smashes its way through Gotham and takes something very strange and very interesting as it as as they come to find out. Now, Bruce actually gets a visit from Lex Luthor, of all people, in Gotham. What is he doing there? That's one of the things that we're trying to figure out. Again, that was in the preview of the first issue, so not a spoiler. He actually, Lex actually provides some pretty interesting information to Bruce that really can't be ignored and it get and once you find out what that is and find out that it's you know it's it's true it makes things a little bit strange so Batman's already investigating what the robot took and we get to see him do some very very quick detective work and make sure it work of you know exactly what might be going on but the what and the who are two completely different things now it's what happens at the end of this first digital issue 
that kind of leaves you wondering if things are really how they appear or if there might be something else going on there. And if once you read it, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Now, as I'm reading through this, the art really, really stands out to me here on each page because I definitely get those nostalgia vibes. I definitely feel like I'm a part of the Batman animated series. The, the Just the character work alone, I, I feel like I'm there. It feels authentic, and that was one thing that I feel like you have to have. It's, it's not completely the same, but it's so close that it, it makes you feel like you're back in that world that you wanted to be in. And I, th- I think that was a, t- a tall order for Ty Templeton and Monica Kubina and company to take on, but they really, really did that. The story itself does feel very fresh, though. So, you, you know, you've got the art that gives you that nostalgic feel that you wanted, but then the story feels like you, we are getting something new. Now, there's references here and there to stuff that happened in the, in, in the original animated series, but... It's, it still feels like a brand new story, and there's certainly vibes in more than one respect that'll make you feel that way. So this issue, to me, almost felt like an episode of the animated series that just hit the second commercial break, if that makes sense. You know, where you're, you're kind of a, almost halfway through the episode, and you know you've got something coming. So I was really hoping to love this. I really, really did, and it just feels right it was also a risk because you know how fans love batman in the animated series but this one i think is off to a pretty darn good start so i think that i will definitely be reading more of batman and the batman the adventures continue from dc whenever the next issue decides to hit now this next one sabrina something wicked number one from archie comics this is one that was already according to the folks at archie comics already delivered to most comic book shop so this might be actually one that you could get for curbside pickup or whatever your local shop is doing mail order whatever they might actually have this book on hand already and you can still get the digital editions now they've already said that future issues are paused just like most publishers you know not printing we're not doing print comics right now and everything that's going on with diamond that you know, future issues will be paused from here on out. But we still can talk about Sabrina Something Wicked number one, written by Kelly Thompson, Veronica and Andy Fish on the art, Jack Morelli on the letters. Now, for Sabrina, there's kind of a lot going on in this issue. She's trying to help someone that you really wouldn't expect. And again, this is not something I want to spoil for you in case you want to jump right in, which I feel like you can with this issue if you really wanted to. And then you actually end up seeing a different side of this person that she's helping in the process. So, you know, might do a little bit to mend some fences there. And maybe that's a hint of whom I'm talking about if you've been reading Sabrina lately, and maybe it isn't. You'll have to find out. Now, the problem is that it's a very difficult task that she's trying to perform. But on top of all that, she also is is caught up in a bit of a love triangle and it's it's almost like it's a she's forced into the love triangle more than her being tangled up in it and 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 again depending you know who one of the people is already that much i could tell you if if you're a sabrina fan you know who one of them is already but the other one is is very interesting and how sabrina reacts to the both of them is also quite interesting and you don't really know which way she's leaning in this quite frankly you you think you do one second and then you kind of don't so life balance in general for her 
is kind of a struggle, and you get to see that play out throughout the issue as well. She does, though, finally find a spell that might help her with the original problem that I was talking about and how to deal with that. Now, the the interesting part of that is those results actually lead to a reveal that might be a big game changer. This is one of those things where you see it, the issue ends, and you go, okay, did I see what I just saw? And that's what that's basically the crux of what is going to be this issue. Now, before I get to that, the the charm of Sabrina definitely comes out in this issue. Both the writing and the art do a fantastic job working tandem. You just you you fall in love with Sabrina. If you haven't already, you definitely do in this issue. The art especially shines though in those awkward moments when we're talking about that love triangle and the relationship. I mean, you want to talk about selling it. It really, really does. Now, back to this end reveal that, of course, I can't tell you about because we're doing spoiler-free here. How this book deals with that reveal will really determine just how interesting these future issues are going to be. And and who knows how long it's going to be before we get issue two. Now, if it gets explained right away in the early stages of next issue, I think that would be a real bummer. I don't know how long you can drag it out either, though, quite frankly. So there's a fine line here of how far you can actually take this as far as I'm concerned. So this one I'm not as sure about. I'm certainly going to check out the second issue when it comes out. But it's where that second issue takes me is going to determine whether or not I would throw this on my pull box going forward when we can actually still have pull boxes again and when that's when, when that is once again a thing. That's going to do it for what we're reading, and who knows when we'll be able to do this again. I'll come up with something. Up next, time to talk about Harley. It's DC Universe's Harley Quinn Season 2, Episode 1. A few spoilers on the way, too, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Patrick Schumacher. And Justin Halpern. And you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Season 1 was so much fun. Oh, what will Season 2 hold? It is my spoiler-ish review of DC Universe's Harley Quinn Season 2, Episode 1. Yes, there will be some spoilers in this review, so there's a little bit of a warning for you on that. Also, spoilers for Season 1 as well, because this picks up, again, here's your first spoiler, picks up after basically Harley takes down the Joker. But also, Batman gets caught up in the rubble in the process. So, Gotham is in complete chaos. So basically... What we're starting out with, essentially, is once again, no man's land in Gotham. It's You see it in utter disarray. Harley's pretty happy about this early on, but then you come to find out, you know, when you don't grab that brass ring when it's available, then things can kind of go south. Because remember, there are still other villains in Gotham they're going to want their peace. I mean, you're talking about Joker, I mean, about Penguin, about Riddler, about Two-Face, and also Bane. And Bane is still so hilarious. I mean, if there's comic relief in this second episode of season, this first episode of season two, it's Bane for sure. I get the biggest laughs out of Bane. And I don't know if it's just because it's ingrained into me now after season one, how that all went. But that's the character that I love the most in this first episode. And and we do get introduced to Mr. Freeze. We don't get a ton of Mr. Freeze in this first episode, but he does play a pretty big role in the episode in the short amount of time 
that he's in it. But basically, it's Ivy trying to convince Harley, hey, you need to take this city if you want to. And Harley, you know, isn't the best at listening. So she drags her feet a little bit, and then all of a sudden, she liberates the goons, which was a very interesting choice for her to make. But the villains that are left in Gotham, the supervillains, as they might call themselves, are forming an injustice League and they, you know, they want to divide up Gotham and everything. Harley not having it, absolutely not having it. So, let's just say something really bad happens to Harley at that point, and that is going to be where the where the focus of this season is going to be because she ends up taking down a pretty major villain in this episode. That much I will tell you. And again, that that I'm not going to tell you who, but I will tell you that the, the biggest spoiler of all is that a major villain goes down in this episode. And that is the start of the entire season where Harley realizes that if she wants to take control, she's going to have to go after each of these villains. Now, how that's going to play out and how that's going to work, we'll have to see. But her team really starting to come together. And clearly they need her more than they thought they did at the beginning. Even even Ivy. But, you know, Ivy's pretty smart. She probably could have handled things eventually. But they really did need Harley. And Harley's finding out that, you know, she can be that super villain. And she's got that confidence in herself now. And, and the ruthlessness is definitely dialed up because she almost had her dream of Gotham and Chaos taken taken from her and being the main the main villain in Gotham so she almost got that taken from her and she's not going to let that happen again one of the interesting one of the more interesting things in this episode for me though was Jim Gordon and Jim Gordon kind of plays the the down on your luck guy the entire series so far right he's the guy that you know just can't quite get ahead the GCPD can't do Anything right and with Batman missing, how do you think Gordon's mood is going to be in this episode? Now, we do see a Batman. I will tell you that. And who it is, I will leave that up for you to find out. But what happens with Gordon in this in this episode is kind of laughably sad. I don't know that... I mean, I felt bad for him, but at the same time, it was kind of funny that, that bad things just keep happening to Jim Gordon constantly. It's this constant bombardment of when is he finally just going to lose it at some point. And he kind of does towards the end of the episode. And I don't really know. That's the funny thing. If, if there's any character where I don't know where they go from here at the end of this first episode, it's Jim Gordon. I have no idea what's going to be happening with Jim Gordon at this point. I will say that there there wasn't a huge focus on humor in this first episode of Harley Quinn season 2 and that's not a bad thing there were certainly plenty of funny moments to go around it wasn't as like in your face hilarious as the beginning of the first season was there were but if you loved that first season that's the thing this set, this first episode of season 2 is banking on the fact that you loved season 1 like I did so it was almost like a warm blanket to wrap yourself in, right? Like all the all the little humor points 
that you love from before are there. All the great vibes are there with like Clayface is doing his thing. And Dr. Psycho has some great lines that are very Dr. Psycho like when you from when you've watched season one. And just that dynamic between Harley and, and Ivy is just it's it's all there. It all just feels right. It all just feels like it is what it's supposed to be. But you know the humor is going to be there because there's plenty of stuff, like I said, with Bane and there's some other things that happen in the episode that I can't reveal. Again, the whole Batman thing was pretty interesting. And the end is actually pretty interesting too. So we're, we're getting some like the plot thickens type moments as well. So not only are we getting a show that's that's outrageously funny, but you're also getting more depth in storytelling in this first episode of season two. And there's nothing wrong with adding a little bit of depth. That doesn't mean the show is going to be less hilarious. We're just getting a little bit more depth in this first episode of season two. You're adding to the intrigue. You're going to see where things go. But what we don't see is Catwoman in this episode. I could tell you that as well. So we're going to have to wait a little bit to see Catwoman. But, you know, I could watch this show all day. This is one of those things, if you haven't binged season one yet, you've still got time to get through that and still watch this first episode of season two before the second episode comes out. So if you're not a DC Universe subscriber already, get on that. Watch Harley Quinn on DC Universe. You will not be sorry that you did. Kaylee Cuoco still amazing. Lake Bell, still incredible. It's a great voice cast. It's a well-written show. It's funny. Go check it out. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast, once again, brought to you by my bookie. Yeah, you're stuck inside. You're not really sure what to do with yourself at this point, right? You want to stay sane, stay entertained. You can access favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, and Slots, and War, and things like that on my bookie. And, I mean, even if video poker's not your thing, they've actually got live casino dealers online for a bunch of different stuff, 24 hours a day, seven days a week live tables and even esports you can place your virtual wagers there as well on a bunch of different esports especially nba 2k20 so you want to go to mybookie.ag enter promo code dnpod you'll get 150 percent bonus on your first casino deposit all the way up to 750 dollars that's dnpod at mybookie dot ag and get 150 150 cash bonus on your first deposit so even though sports are on the sidelines you can find the action that you're looking for right now with great games of their own on my bookie please play responsibly that's going to do it for my spoiler free review of the harley quinn season two premiere from dc universe up next yeah there's a lot of nerd news and a lot more opinions about things that are going on as well. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The more things change, the more things stay the same. It's time for nerd news, and it just seems like what we're going to have is a lot of similar news coming up for the next few weeks, maybe even a month. Who knows? I mean, I like to try and play this by ear, but... You know, you see the things that are coming out lately. Well, the things that were true anyway. Don't forget this was an April Fool's Day week, and that tends to kind of kill the news cycle a little bit. So let me start here. And this was actually reported by a few different outlets that 
Diamond, a little bit of an update here, has hit a financial hardship and that they will not be paying their vendors. And there's buyout rumors that are starting quickly. And, you know, talking about like Penguin Random House and a couple of other places. Look, I don't really want to speculate too much as to who might buy them out or anything like that. Here's my thing, though. How quickly could you really pick up the distribution and make sure that all the books are going where they're supposed to go. That's that's number one right there. You can't necessarily rely on publishers to automatically know all of the retailers, right, or anything like that. I mean, there's certainly retailer relations is something that is it's a big deal. That's why they have the Diamond Retailer Summit, right? And would that list automatically? just go from Diamond to whoever the new distributor is? Or what if Diamond still tries to hang on and they don't exactly shut down? It's not like they're going to really share that information. Does this suddenly create a distribution, you know, kind of a run and a little competition in the market for distribution with certain publishers going with certain distributors and some with others? Or can, can Diamond get it together? These are a lot of questions that we really need to think about. And, and, you know, if they even if it's a temporary alternative, could that eventually become a permanent alternative? I mean, the way I see it, if the news gets any worse for Diamond, does that kind of force the hand of publishers to go digital until an alternative can be explored? Because what you're doing is, is that, and, I, and again, I know I've heard from many, you know, collectors of comics and fans and things like that saying, look, I don't want to go all digital. I like that physical copy in my hand. I like collecting. I like having first appearances of characters and things of that nature or just single issues of amazing runs. And you don't necessarily want to just wait for the trade either. I get that. I get all of those things, okay? Because I've got plenty of those things in my collection as well, and I would miss that if that went away. But you know what you might miss? Comics in general, okay? We have to figure out a way to keep companies afloat. At the same time, it could get to the point where publishers are strained. Yes, publishers are doing what they can right now, and a lot of them, a lot of major efforts to help save the retail and direct market. Okay, I understand that. But eventually, some of those publishers are going to get financially strained themselves. And I'm not going to name names here, but you think about obviously Marvel and DC, you figure they're going to be fine, right? You got to figure. Even though there's some others that are doing quite well, you got to figure that after that, it's a question mark at some point, depending on how much, how long things drag out for almost anybody else, right? That's a scary thing. So for anybody who, obviously your pull box is probably full of more Marvel and DC stuff than anything else, but think about those other things that you'd be missing. Think about what we'd be missing from comics in general, Without stories from Image and IDW and Dark Horse and Dynamite Valiant and places like that, or somebody like Bad Idea that's just getting off the ground, really, that that was focused on non-digital and doing more, doing only print copies of their comics and for select retailers too. By the way, think about something like that. But what you're faced with here is take DC for example. There. Their comics that were supposed to come out on April the 1st have been pushed to April the 29th. To me, I see something like that, and, I got, and I've again, this is just me talking here, my opinion. I see that 
And I see that as DC saying, that's our artificial deadline to figure out what we're going to do. Because you have to, if you go digital right away, you look like the bad guy, right? No matter who you are. So DC has kind of stepped up, given that date. And and I believe that that is a look. This is how long we're going to take to try and figure out all our, our alternative if the wheels aren't turning again, or at least there, if there's maybe a light at the end of the tunnel, but things aren't actually being distributed, I still think that a lot of companies will wait, but it only takes one. It only takes one to make that decision for the rest to sort of fall in line, or they'll wait a week or two to see how digital sales for that first collector, for that first publisher would be, and then say, oh, well, if people are just going to start buying digital, then we're going to need to do this too. And again, Digital not as a long-term thing, as a short-term solution just to get a cash flow going to be able to bring back that direct market. And I still think you should be able to tie digital to comic book shops and let the shops sell codes and then just give them the print copies when you when you get them in. You're doing it in reverse. Marvel and DC already do free digital copies for some of their books anyway. So why not just go the other way? I don't understand how hard that is. And maybe that's not fair, to other publishers when you're talking about say you know the, the ones that i mentioned before i mean vault comics is kind of doing that already right a little bit they're they're promising variant covers i believe and 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 way advanced copies of a couple of their of their books if you're if you're supporting your local comic book shop right so it's not exactly the same thing but it's something similar i just feel like there's an artificial deadline here and, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens at the end of the month if this thing keeps going the way it's going. And, and all signs seem to be that that's exactly what's going to happen. But, but again, only time will tell. Speaking of only time will tell, talking about movie theaters and AMC, of course, had their credit rating reduced. Things aren't looking good for the movie theater market either. But here's the thing. As more and more of these movie dates get shifted and pretty much everything is being shifted. The latest updates that I have for you, Top Gun, Maverick moving to December 7th, the new SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants movie moving to July 31st, A Quiet Place 2 is going to September 4th, and Sony's basically pushed everything to 2021. You're talking about Uncharted, Morbius, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and some others. And we already know that a lot of these dates have shifted. We still don't know anything from... Disney and Marvel regarding Black Widow or Mulan, or as of me recording this anyway. Here's the deal, guys. Here's what I'm worried about. There's going to be a lot of movies in 2021 if this keeps up. And I know that some of these movies are replacing other movies, but here's but the problem with that is, is that, yeah, you're pushing some of these other movies, but they're not movies that you expected to be, or at least hope would be, multi-million dollar profit-making blockbuster movies, right? Like Sony's hoping for with Ghostbusters Afterlife, like they're hoping for with Morbius and some of the others. You're not, you're talking about movies that might have done okay and you're being repla- you're replacing them with blockbuster movies. So here's the thing. While you might be thinking, wow, 2021 is going to be a great year for movies every weekend, this is going to be something new and something amazing to watch. It's going to be like the whole year is summer. That's my point. It's going to be like the whole year is summer. 
you might see more movies during the summer because that's when the blockbusters are supposed to come out, right? That's when the biggest movies, the biggest of the big, are going to come out. Now you're looking at an entire year of that. And I know that certain movies are releasing earlier and, you know, the summer movie season isn't necessarily what it's supposed to be. But what if almost every weekend you've got a movie you're saying, man, I really want to see that. You're already going to be recovering from being financially strapped during this pandemic anyway. And whenever it ends, whenever things get back to normal, I don't know what your job situation is, your money flow or anything like that. Are you really going to look at it and say, man, I'm going to have a ton of money to be able to go see movies in 2021? I think for most people, that's a no. You know, especially for like, like for me, I have a family, I've got two kids, I've got my wife and I have to, you know, be financially responsible with that. I, I one and one of the kids is under one, you know, so you're, I'm still buying diapers and things of that nature. So, you know, these things cost a ton of money. And, and if I've got to make a decision on whether or not to buy food and diapers for my family or go see a movie, I'm going to pick the food and diapers, obviously. I'm still going to go see some movies because I do love that. But if you're telling me every weekend you're going to have at least one massive blockbuster movie that would have been in 2020 that is now in 2021 or even later in 2020 as well because then you're going to be pushing up into the into the holiday months, especially with Top Gun. If you're telling me that's going to happen, then I, I can't be the only one that's going to have to make a choice of, well, you know, I'd really like to see both of these movies, but I really only have enough money to see one, so I'm going to do that. How much is pushing these dates actually going to hurt the profitability of some of these movies, especially a movie like Mulan, who has a that has a budget of over $200 million, if I remember correctly. That movie has to make a ton of money, not just domestically, but overseas. You mean to tell me that if you push that and you've got to tell me me that some people are going to have to make a choice between seeing maybe Mulan in the Black Widow movie, one of those movies isn't going to make as much money as it should because of this, even if they're not released close together. It's just a matter of math. It's just a matter of how much money people are actually going to have. And I don't know if... I'm not even saying releasing them digitally is the answer necessarily, but at some point, you got to figure that's not a market that's really flooded Yet, we're seeing more and more of that happening, but now we're, we're going to start to see a lull in that, right? We're always going to have those movies that were released a few weeks earlier on digital anyway. That, that was always going to happen. But now with this, you have to figure that we're slowing down a bit on the newness of these digital releases. So if you could be something like a Black Widow movie that would be a unique option that's not necessarily being bombarded with a whole lot of other options, you could make a really good amount of money by releasing that on video on demand at, say, that $20 price point that Disney used for Onward. And Disney's going to need the money. They're already getting ready to furlough people that they deem you know aren't necessary at this time. And I'm not going to get on that soapbox, okay? I won't do it. But clearly, Disney would not be furloughing anyone if they didn't need the money. And it's, again, I said this last week, it's crazy to think that they would need money, but here we are. So I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of forces their hand a little bit. I don't think this will happen with Mulan in a million years just because of how much that movie costs to make. 
they're going to have to put that one in the theaters whether they like they like it or not. But what we're creating here is a possibly flooded market in the fourth quarter of 2020 going into the entire year of 2021 where you're going to have so many movies you might actually have too many options and I don't think people are going to be in the mood to strain their bank accounts just to see a movie every single week and and don't think those subscription services are coming back anytime soon when the movies do finally decide to reopen because if anybody's going to be strapped for cash it's those movie theater companies and they can't afford to be losing money on those subscription services like they were doing before. A couple of quick notes of things that might be a little bit of good news, depending on your perspective. Lock and Key has been renewed for a second season by Netflix. So, so excited about that. I mean, quite frankly, the way that season one ended with now we have Echo's got a buddy that's come out of the Omega door, right? We knew that going in. And everything how and and how that's going to change the dynamic of what's going on with the Locke family and and what's going on at Key House and the keys and all these other things. There's there there are a lot of storylines at play in season coming up for a second season. So it, it's almost like they confidently knew that there was going to be a second season, and I think that it was talked about so much that you kind of had to do it if you're Netflix. Plus, Netflix is kind of... If anybody seems to be benefiting from people being at home, it's Netflix. And they're, they are really... Now, they can flood the market because they're a subscription service. You've already paid for that subscription. The only thing they're competing for right now is your time and your eyeballs. That's it. They're not competing for your box office dollars. So they can flood the market with their best stuff right now, knowing that you're at home and knowing that you're going to want to subscribe to their product. So I think that what they're doing is really, really smart. Now, who knows when we'll be able to see a season two of Lock and Key because of you know the current restrictions and everything and when things get lifted. And again, people get need, get to be able to get back to work. So we it might take a while. I don't think it'll be February necessarily when we see a new season of Lock and Key from Netflix, but I'm just excited that we're actually going to get one. I know some fans are upset about this, but The Last of Us 2 and Marvel's Iron Man VR has been delayed, announced by Sony Interactive Entertainment on social media, until further notice. That is what we were told. Again, not putting that artificial date out there because fans are already upset because The Last of Us 2 has already been delayed. We know that, well-documented. They called this a, quote, difficult decision. To me, exactly the opposite of that. The 100% right and best decision that they could possibly make. I know that especially being stuck inside right now, the last thing you want is to not be able to play a new game that you were looking forward to. But if you put it into perspective, is this really the worst thing in the world? Because if you get a buggy game early, you're already kind of, you know, maybe you're getting a little bit of cabin fever. You're a little cranky because you're stuck inside. You really want to play a buggy version of a game that you've been waiting for forever, whether it be The Last of Us Part 2 or the Iron Man VR game from Sony. I don't think that you're really going to want to deal with a buggy game at this point. And you can't expect these 
massive programming teams be working around the clock during a pandemic. So if anything, this is the right and responsible decision from Sony and Naughty Dog in the case of The Last of Us Part 2. This is the right decision. Take the time that you need to give us the games that we deserve. I say that all the time anyway, but I mean that now more than ever. Do not put your people at undue risk just to finish the last bit of a game that you've already delayed in the first place. And bravo, by the way, for not putting on a new date leaving this open-ended because, again, we don't know when anybody's going to be able to go back to work and go back to normal or anything like that. So if you put up another artificial date that you have to delay again, you become Cuphead. Remember, they delayed that sucker for, what, like almost three years, it seems like, before that thing finally came out, and it was like the talk every year at E3. It was like, oh, well, are we finally going to get, get, get a release date for Cuphead? And that thing got pushed back so many times it kind of became... A laughing stock. Now, granted, worked out for them. Ended up being a good, good game that people liked, albeit a hard one. So, but, but, and I'm sure The Last of Us Part Two is going to be good as well. You saw the screenshots that they released. That was pretty cool, right? Don't give me a buggy game right now. Don't get gamers deserve better than that usually, but especially right now. Take the time. Do it right. Keep your people safe. And I think that the good faith that you build by doing that will help you in the long run. That's going to do it for Nerd News slash my opinion on random things, apparently. Up next, going to head into the loop and talk tales from the loop with creator and writer Nathaniel Halpern. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from The Expanse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. There's a brand new show I can't wait for you guys to check out on April the 3rd on Amazon Prime Video. It's called Tales from the Loop. You're not going to want to miss this one. You might know this guy's work from FX's Legion and a ton of other just amazing stuff. It's show creator and writer Nathaniel Halper. Nathaniel, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Now, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, life imitates art far more than art imitates life. But Tales from the Loop is actually very influenced by art. How much can you tell people about that inspiration that might not already know? Well, essentially, um, the series is unique in that it is actually inspired by uh, the paintings of Simon Stollenhog, who is a Swedish artist. And it's essentially just created out of using these paintings as visual prompts to create a world and characters and stories that inhabit it. So it is uh, rather unique in that regard. Now, you said in a behind-the-scenes video that Amazon put out recently that the show tells stories about people finding connection in the world. And given what's going on in the world right now, do you think the Tales from the Loop is actually coming out at the perfect time? You know, it's an interesting way to put it. Um, I, I, I certainly think the appetite might, might be there for something that provides a little bit of comfort and a bit of hope. It, it might not be the best time for the more cynical, darker stories, so... Uh, perhaps uh, it is a good time for the show to be coming out. Speaking of Amazon, they've put out a lot of very ambitious and unique projects recently, and ambitious seems to be a word that comes up a lot when people talk about this show. So do you feel like Amazon was the perfect home for Tales from the Loop? I think they were. Uh, They were just so supportive uh, from the beginning in that they knew what I wanted to do, which was tell these emotional human stories in the science fiction genre. And they saw that that was something that was not really being serviced in the genre space. And so they were just very supportive in giving me the opportunity and the platform to tell those stories. 
Speaking of science fiction, I'm glad you brought that up because there's obviously science fiction elements to the series, but I'm not sure that that I would put the show in a specific genre, especially as I was watching uh, the episodes. So do you agree? And if so, is that a good thing in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's what's what's nice about the show is I'm a big fan of science fiction, but at the same time, uh, I was trying to do something rather unique in that it's it is kind of a drama with a dusting of science fiction, meaning if someone isn't that crazy about science fiction, it's the things that might turn them off about that genre aren't really there. So they can just watch it as a drama. And so it it is an interesting uh, marriage between these kind of quiet human dramas and a science fiction flavor to it. How do you go about choosing the scientific, the, the science fiction elements that you do use in these shows and how you introduce them as well? Because I feel like that's a key element in any show like this. Essentially, it starts with what kind of emotional story do I want to tell? That I try and find something that's somewhat universal that we all deal with on some level and then a character comes from that. And then I think about well, what kind of science fiction element could amplify that emotion and t- take something that might be an internal experience and bring it out and, uh, into the, the world. And that's usually how I would gravitate towards whatever the science fiction aspect of the episode is, is just how does that complement and amplify the emotion. Now, Nathaniel, there's no shortage of characters in Tales from the Loop that we're going to get to know, but could the Loop itself be your most mysterious character of all? I would say yes and no, in that um, I, I didn't set out to, to create a, a mystery series based on a question of what's going on beneath ground. And for instance, Simon, the painter, he never painted what's going on beneath ground. Mm-hmm. And it was important to me that in the first episode, we went down there to see it so that you kind of take that question off the table and understand everything that goes on above ground as a result of experiments that are happening beneath ground. And then you can invest in the characters and their personal stories versus um, just being waiting for an answer to a question. Because I, I, historically, I just don't find that structure to be rewarding in the long run. That's an excellent way to put it. We're talking to Nathaniel Halpern, who is, of course, the creator and writer of Amazon's Tales from the Loop, which you can see on Prime Video starting on April the 3rd. Now, Nathaniel, anytime I hear things like experiments and unlocking the secrets of the universe, I have to wonder if there'll be a cost for that. So without spoiling anything, could we actually see some consequences intended or, or, or otherwise as a result of this? Uh, yes, but I think where our minds go um, uh, with those words is a, a darker place. And here it usually is enlightening to the characters in that it, um, it uh, opens them up to themselves and uh, brings about change uh, more often than not in a positive way. So it's not a, it's not a show filled with conspiracies and doom and gloom. I think it's more celebratory of um, technology and the human endeavors in that regard. So it's, it's more of a, a lighter consequence, if, you, if you'd say, rather than dark. One of the things I really like about the show is, you know, every show usually has, you know, its its main character or and or a main villain or something of that nature. And, and this show certainly does, but you also seem to you, like you're really giving a spotlight to a lot of different characters and giving them a lot of time. Do you feel like that's something that's been underserviced, not just in the science fiction genre, but in general? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I think it, the structure, it felt right for this uh, show in that what I always say is, What's wonderful in a story is when something extraordinary happens to an ordinary person. Mm. And if too many extraordinary things happen to an ordinary person, they are no longer ordinary. And 
so just with that in mind, the idea of um, cycling in new characters so you can have that magic of them stepping out of their ordinary world that we can relate to and then going on this journey, just keeping that wonder alive versus I no longer can relate to this character because too many crazy things have happened to them. Speaking of these characters, you you obviously have a great cast, but you've also had you you had an impressive list of directors for the series, including Jodie Foster and Andrew Santon and Santon and and a lot of others. So, what did all of their unique perspectives actually add to the series as you were shooting it? Well, they, I, yeah, I was very flattered that everyone, all these uh, very talented directors, wanted to come and work on this. Essentially, I, from moment go, said that I wanted this to be incredibly cinematic and really embrace the visual aspects of the medium. You've already seen some of it. There's, you know, there's long sequences without any dialogue, mm-hmm. just purely visually told, um, with these gorgeous cues uh, from Philip Glass's score. And I think these directors were eager to do that because it's a rare opportunity to really uh, explore this kind of aesthetic at this point, sadly. And so they all just brought a wonderful sense of uh, creativity and artistry to the table. And it was just wonderful collaborating with all of them. Even in the science fiction world, Nathaniel, there just felt so, there was something so real about these series, about the series when I was watching it. So would you actually be surprised to find out that something like The Loop actually existed in the real world, and would you want it to? It's a good question. Uh, um, I, I would say, I mean, I looked at, and when I talked with Simon the painter, there's the hydrogen uh, hydrogen collider um, in, in the real world, that particle accelerator, uh, which in part The Loop is uh, inspired by. So we're kind of halfway there. I would say, yeah, I, I actually would like this to exist because, once again, I'm coming at it from an angle of, in not being fearful and that uh, it won't bring our demise, that uh, actually the excitement of discovery, um, which I think goes hand in hand with the loop. Now, I know that maybe this is going to be one of those questions like I'm asking you to pick your favorite kid, but there's a lot of great stories that are involved in this show. Is there a particular character story or a particular episode that you look at and you go, I really can't wait for people to see this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You already said my answer, which is very hard. Uh, to, to, um, um, I, but I would say just in terms of my sensibility, I just love I know from films and television in the past, I carry these little moments with me. A lot of times I forget the plots and I just remember these little moments that kind of sear, the, sear themselves into my mind. And I try to create as many of those kind of little moments because the realities of production, usually those are the first things that go. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many wonderful little moments scattered over the first season that I hope uh, people find memorable. You know, I'm just one off the top of my head is in the, the first episode with the little girl uh, catching the uh, drips from the icicle uh, mm-hmm. in her mouth. It's just, I just find a beautiful little image. And I think there's just a, a bunch like that throughout the season. It's funny because that one was actually burned into my mind. It's funny you brought that up. Oh, good, good. That's great. Nathaniel, before I let you go, you do have a fairly big twist in that first episode, and it's an emotional one. So without spoiling anything, give kind of a tease for fans, and is this kind of just the tip of the iceberg? Um, Yeah, I mean, the idea was really every episode has its own profound science fiction element. So what I wanted to put off was what I call the I get it moment, um, where a show just exists comfortably within certain parameters Mm -hmm. here. Every episode, there's a new science fiction element that uh, re-injects a sense of wonder. So you're always on your toes to a certain extent. So if you find the 
the twist uh, in the first episode emotional and interesting there are seven more to come in the season and there are eight reasons that you want to definitely watch tales from the loop on amazon prime video when it premieres on april the 3rd this is one of those shows i got a feeling you're going to want to watch it more than once for sure it's writer and creator nathaniel halpern thank you so much for joining me this week oh thank you very much so the one feeling that i got when i actually got a chance to see tales from the loop a little bit early was just how different it feels in the sci-fi genre and you know when i find something different i gravitate towards it but it wasn't just different in the story visually this thing just felt a little bit different yeah you might get vibes with certain other shows in movies at times but really when you get down to it the roots of this seem like it goes so much deeper than that of what might what it might look like on the surface and then you just get just so caught up in the visual just around you and just the scenes themselves like you heard Nathaniel Halpern talking about you know the drops of water from from the icicles coming down it's stuff like that that it, it just it's it captivates you it takes you to a different place and you don't get that as often in sci-fi in that way so that's why if you're looking for something truly unique to check out while you're stuck at home i definitely recommend tales from the loop from amazon prime video streaming right now actually you can get all the episodes right now on amazon prime video i think that yeah, one of those ones you're definitely going to want to stick with it to the end because I think this is one that's going to pay off for you big time. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to everyone at Amazon Prime Video for letting me chat with Nathaniel Halpern this week and thank him for his time as well. If you want to learn more about Tales from the Loop and get my review of the first episode, actually, go to downandnerdypodcast.com, a whole bunch of other great stuff up there as well. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Don't forget also support our sponsor this week, MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, enter promo code DNPOD, get yourself 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.